Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 381, a very exciting two-part episode series. Today we are sharing part one, why naturally nourished kids. In today's episode, we are going to share with you the rising problems plaguing our children, everything from ADHD to obesity to anxiety and depression and the rise in diabetes. We're seeing the health of Americans being impacted younger and younger. In this episode, we are going to connect the role of diet in some of these chronic conditions, and we're going to talk about how naturally nourished kids' approach to eating can resolve these issues. Yes. So I guess one of the big exciting elements of this episode is we're sharing the title of our upcoming book that we're co-authoring and cookbook, Naturally Nourished Kids. Uh, So today's episode, in a sense, is kind of like our pitch of our why for writing this book. And we feel so strongly that it is necessary to get out into the public as quickly as possible. Our hope is by the end of this calendar year of 2024, it is fully manifested. We'll also give you updates in today's episode of where we're at with progress and publishers, etc. But we feel so strongly and passionately that this book, Naturally Nourished Kids, can solve the problems of health crisis in children. And beyond those that you listed, Becky, we can also see the extension into the benefits of an anti-inflammatory, low-glycemic, whole food style of eating in correcting skin conditions, anything from eczema to dermatitis to psoriasis asthma and respiratory improvement, digestive improvement of regularity, less food sensitivity and inflammatory gut drama, autoimmune conditions, driving remission or less risk of flare, and so much more. We really believe that you are what you eat and it is so important that we are arming our children and our future generations to be metabolically capable for success and optimal health without being a victim of chronic illness, disease, and overall dysfunction, which just doesn't provide optimal quality of life as well. Totally. And the conditions that we mentioned, right? We have a deep dive episode now on all of them, Um, ADHD, childhood obesity, um, lots of content on anxiety and depression, Um, a couple on diabetes, although I don't know that we talked as much about childhood diabetes in there, Um, but I'll link some of those relevant episodes in today's show notes. And so today's episode, because we already have all of that information out there, we're not going to go as nitty gritty nerdy on the specific studies on particular nutrients or compounds. Of course, we'll talk about some research in general. Um, But I think the point that we really want to drive home from today's episode is that if you can get the tenets of a naturally nourished kid's diet um, for optimal eating and wellness and all the good stuff, you're really going to see improvement across the board. And that's the foundational element, right? Absolutely. And so actually today's episode might be one of the like 1% of our releases that we don't talk about a single supplement. Dun, dun, Mm. dun. (laughs) Uh, Because again, we really wanted to emphasize the role of food as medicine. And we feel strongly that when you can apply this type of a diet strategy in your household, you can see elimination of like 40 to 70% of these conditions. And in some cases, 100% improvement with just using diet alone. So food as medicine is very powerful and Naturally Nourished Kids is here for you to learn how to use this tool to feel empowered in your household. Yes. And I think in many cases too, with kiddos, we're talking about getting ahead of these conditions before Mm -hmm. they develop at all or at the first sign or symptom or, you know, the first appointment where you see that the A1C is a little higher than you'd like. You can really, you know, 
nip that in the bud and, and hopefully completely reverse and, you know, save that child from a lifetime of hurt. No doubt. No doubt. Or starting medications too soon and having to deal with the stress of that intervention and that conversation with the teacher and really arming your children for best behavioral and cognitive function. Yes. All right. Let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, and then we'll get right into it. All right. Uh, NutriSense is today's episode sponsor, and they provide a CGM or continuous glucose monitor that will give you real-time glucose data. So every sensor that you use will provide you 14 days, 24-7 information what's happening with your blood sugar or your glucose levels. This will combine with an app through NutriSense, which will allow you to have direct communication with a registered dietitian on their team and help you to understand the impact of your daily activities. So not just watching the impact of the foods you eat and that postprandial or after meal glucose response, but also seeing the impact of your stress, seeing the impact of what happens while you're sleeping with your blood sugar or when you're exercising and really allowing some of this individualized approach. I know when I first wore a CGM, I was really shocked to see in the afternoons as I was wrapping up clinic and Stella was coming home from at that time, goodness, preschool, preschool, that my blood sugar would hit the 140s because I went into fight or flight mom mode of trying to transition and do it all. And that really empowered me to not only adjust my supplementation strategy, bring in extra calm and clear, chew a GABA calm, have a cup of tea at that time, but I also have been able to look at how I can adjust my lifestyle, maybe change my schedule a little bit, take time to cut out for deep breath before that time. And I was able to see real time results from those changes. So I believe that this is a very empowering tool if you're looking to understand what's going on in your blood sugar levels, wearing a CGM and doing this with NutriSense team can be the great uh, value that you're looking for. In fact, when you go over to NutriSense.io slash AllieMillerRD, you will go on a landing page. We'll link it also in the show notes and you'll see my face there. Scroll on down and you have the opportunity through this unique URL to actually do instead of a subscription, just a one-time 14-day purchase for $175. Also, if you prefer the subscription model, you can use the code AllieRD at checkout and you will save $30 off of that first month's subscription of use. Again, understanding what's going on with your blood sugar at real time and connecting that to your lifestyle can really help you to harness your blood sugar for best outcomes. Check out NutriSense.com or .io, either way, slash AllieMillerRD. All right, let's jump in and just give a little bit of an update on the book. I think we've hinted about it on a few past yeah. episodes, but really haven't given you guys any information um, yeah. whatsoever. Well, definitely so, not the name. No, we've and, revealed the title. So that's and the big. title has changed uh, yeah. throughout conversation. Yeah. You know, I think that this book was initially discussed as a project when you were pregnant with Noah. Mm-hmm. I remember we it was walking 2020. Yeah, yeah, it was 2020 and Becky was pregnant. We were walking, we were podcasting, I'm sure, or just hanging out. I don't know. Um, and we were just talking about the impact of pandemic on children and the impact of, of course, blood sugar dysregulation and some of the case studies of what we were seeing in the clinic and Becky being excited as an upcoming new mom, uh, you know, how she's going to integrate baby led weaning and, and just what the importance is of this thumbprint of nourishment, even in utero throughout the entire child development through adolescence, through teens. And I said to her, okay, I had just put out uh, naturally nourished. I'm sorry. I just put out anti-anxiety diet cookbook in um, the fall of 2019. And so we had just finished some of the tour stuff for that on the West coast. And uh, we're planning some fun East coast activities. And um, yep. And I was like, okay, girl, Next time I write a book, we're co-writing it. I was like, and this will be so fun because you can really hone in on all the new stuff you're doing. Stella's already three and a half and you're going to have baby Noah. um, And it'll be so fun to start to kind of if you will, cook this material or start to, you know, manifest, create, conjure up our life experience into a cookbook for children. And uh, the thought process was kind of extending some of the information from the kids chapter of the anti-anxiety diet cookbook that I'd put out there 
and um, you know, understanding how low glycemic approach to eating for kids is really important for behavioral balance, for optimal metabolic health, which of course extends to so many chronic conditions. Yes. And I think we started calling it low carb kids. We mm-hmm. had a few different subtitles um, yep. <laughs> under that um, and then kind of honed it in to be a little bit more well-rounded, I mm-hmm. guess, in terms of just, um, you know, taking it back to the roots of naturally nourish your first cookbook. Right. Yeah. How wild. Yeah. Uh, and so it felt more full circle and more abundance based because yes. we weren't sure if low carb kids, especially in today's, mm. uh, anti-diet yeah. culture yeah. and concern about, you know, fighting the backlash of all foods fit. And, um, this idea that low carb comes off restrictive, like you're trying to put a child on a diet, um, but naturally nourished kids comes off as this foundation of how to nourish our children in the most natural approach to set them up for, like I said, optimal health or metabolic success. So that is what we shifted kind of mid pitch. We started pitching this book because time and space happened. So, you know, then Becky had another baby. I had another baby in that time. I opened and closed a business, <laughs> uh, a natural foods market within yeah. that time. There were a lot of stressors, dynamics, you distractors. Moved out here, built a house. All of the an things. Orchard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So a lot of things. And so basically we really hit the ground running in June or July, I guess the summer of this mm-hmm. year, it felt like. And so as of August, September, we started pitching our friends in the industry. That's when we got some feedback and started to rebrand it into Naturally Nourished Kids. We moved forward with a couple conversations of interested publishers and moved forward quite far with a publisher that was really a dream publisher of mine that um, we were really excited. We had met with the vice president. We had received a contract with a book deal timeline and deliverables. And it didn't go through. Um, And that happened right after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So if you Mm -hmm. saw us like feeling like we're doing the photographing for the book, 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 we were trying to get everything completed by March, uh, (laughs) which would have been Looney Tune bananas, uh, could have destroyed marriages, friendships, all the things. I mean, we wouldn't have really let that happen, but but a high risk factor for combustion. Um, And so I think that... Uh, you know, I, I have learned to trust God Mm. and to know that it is in his hands. I know that this book needs to get out there and, uh, is going to be manifested. And so Becky and I are moving forward with the needle. The only feedback we got from that publisher was positive, um, was excited, was we can't wait to put this product out here. Everyone needs a copy of this book. We're going to get you on Good Morning America. And so we still feel that high and that buzz and that potential and understand that this is a reality. It's just going to be with a different organization. Um, And and less of a gun to our heads, if you will, in terms of the timeline. Yeah, with ease. Um, That was my... like. Aha, after yeah, I, yeah. I had a really rough receipt of that because I, I don't like failure. And um, when I came out of a purge mode, um, I realized that, you know, this is supposed to happen with ease and not like a freight train. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to be continuing. Becky's going to start shooting images in the next two weeks again. Uh, And so month by month, we're going to keep plugging away at this. But if you are listening and you have connections of book agents, or you are a book agent, or in publishing firms, especially in the world of cookbooks, we, if you have interest in this project, we would love to connect with you. So go ahead and shoot me at info at AllieMillerRD, any uh, interest that you have. And we have a really polished, lovely pitch kit. And we would love to partner with a publisher that has integrity, like-mindedness, and we'll put out a product that we feel proud of. Otherwise, we're just going to self-publish it. Yeah. So either way, you listeners will it's be coming. able to experience Naturally <laughs> Nourished Kids. That's the update. It's coming. Yep. Yes. That, that feels like the update in a nutshell. But we've got some beautiful photos that I haven't even edited yet. The ones we took at Thanksgiving, you know, yeah. holidays happened, life happened. I had to travel unexpectedly and help my dad with a medical situation. And yes. it just feels like I couldn't have also been on that tight book deadline. So like you said, you, it all happens yes. for a reason. <laughs> yes. So yep. thank God for the pause yes. and ability for us to spend time with our families over the holidays. And here we are hitting the ground yep. running. Yep. All right. Let's go into maybe some more of the 
content stuff. Um, and because this episode will be two part, I think we'll save like the food talk and the beautiful imagery and make you guys drool for part two. And of even this I, episode. even I intended the the layout of the education chapters. I really just want to create the why this is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part two will be the solution that we're sure. providing you okay. guys with. Okay. So let's start here by just unpacking these top four conditions of ADHD, obesity, mental health, and diabetes. That's a lot right Mm -hmm. there. Uh, But let's talk just rates, current treatments. Let's start with ADHD. Okay. So approximately five to six million children, this is about 10% of the children in the U.S. have a current diagnosis of ADHD. And this tends to significantly trend or increase with age, with individuals with age 12 through 17 at almost 12% prevalence of ADHD. And of course, first line of defense in all of these conditions is going to be some form of therapy, uh, some form of maybe occupational therapy, cognitive behavioral in the world of mental health. Uh, We'll see with obesity and diabetes, diet counseling, which we'll break down in a little bit of what's provided and and how it may not be as fruitful as it should be. Uh, But all too often, unfortunately, we see stimulants as a pretty quick go-to treatment for children. And we really nerd out about this in episode 201 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. It's called Autism and ADHD, A Functional Medicine Approach. Uh, So we'll absolutely link that episode here. But as far as drugs that are approved for children, there's the methylphenidate uh, uh, organization or grouping of medications, which includes like Ritalin, Concerta, Focalin, and then there's the amphetamines side, which is Adderall, Dextrin, Vyvanse. And um, all of these have been approved by FDA for children. Uh, they are all some form of a stimulant and they can have different dep- different length of impact or influence based on the medication. So is it a short acting or extended release tablet? They might work for three to six hours, but we do see neurological unfavorable impact, especially with use in earlier ages and especially with long-term use. We can see side effects from ticks to dizziness, to nausea, irritability, insomnia, mood changes, headaches. Uh, We've seen an increase in heart rate, which can create a little bit of a lightheadedness or a weakness or drive anxiety because your heart's racing and you feel like you're trying to survive something, as well as stomach discomfort, which can lead to often disordered eating or inadequate nutrient intake uh, because these individuals become picky snackers uh, because they just feel nauseous on these drugs. Yes. And remembering we're talking about children and all of those side effects and children who likely don't even have a say in whether or not you know, they go on these medications in the first place, mm-hmm. which is really scary. Yeah. And then, you know, we do see in research that long-term use, which can be defined as more than three years of use of these stimulant medications can actually be associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So something that's being done even from age seven to 10 can impact them decades down the line with higher risk for hypertension or arterial disease, because you're stressing those vessels when they're still developing with that increased heart rate from the stimulant. Yep. And usually these children stay on those drugs long-term or at least through college and young adulthood. And several clients right now in their, you know, late to mid um, 20s, 30s, and we're weaning Vyvanse that they've been on since they were teenagers. Right. And especially when we hit them prepubescent mm-hmm. or during the puberty time, we see an influence on the HPA axis, which basically that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal fight or flight feedback kind of steals from how their sexual hormone production occurs. Um, of course, this is duly impacted if then that girl goes on birth control sure. at age 13 right. or something like that. Um, and but, is under eating mm-hmm. because of the medications. I mean, it just stacks on sure. top, right? And so, I mean, I think that we can even argue that use of these drugs could extend into infertility, sure. um, can extend into painful periods or unfavorable sexual hormone balance, um, and can really have lasting effects on mental health. We see a huge influence of when we create a stimulant early on that then that, especially in the world of dopamine-seeking individuals that tend to fall into the ADHD world, um, if they are getting 
getting that stimulant too early that can also mess with long-term brain chemistry and drive onset of depression or anxiety and the need for more medication. Right. And the thing to think about here is, you know, these children don't have a deficiency of a stimulant, period. Yep. <laughs> like full stop. Um, episode 201, we really drill down into some of the more nitty gritty, nerdy, you know, nutrient connections mm-hmm. talking B6 in particular as mm-hmm. like one highlighted superstar nutrient, but the whole B vitamin family talking DHA and the connection. So I'll link that in the show notes for y'all to go mm-hmm. deeper there. Um, but let's just talk blood sugar alone. Cause we mm-hmm. know that, you know, blood sugar spikes and crashes can lead to irritability, irregular energy, brain fog, difficulty concentrating and hyperactivity. Yes, and sugar directly affects ADHD by increasing brain dysregulation and can exacerbate these types of symptoms. And when an individual like a kiddo has a spike in glucose or a spike in their blood sugar levels, they're also going to get that secondary spike in insulin. And again, in a developing kiddo, if they're getting a high glycemic diet, that insulin response from their pancreas will then create hypoglycemia. They put out too much insulin, their blood sugar crashes, and then that makes the inattention or attention deficit even worse or more pronounced. Uh, There was a study done in 2022 called Eating Patterns and Dietary Interventions in ADHD, and they looked at upwards of a 40% improvement with no drug therapy over 8 to 12 weeks using probiotics, an elimination diet, and a gluten-free approach. Um, And so again, understanding that patterns that look at a lower glycemic approach to eating, keeping that blood sugar harnessed, and then even addressing some of the microbiome in there was enough to do a huge influence on outcomes. And 40% just with that, I don't know what the specifics of the diet were, um, but we'll we'll talk more about at least our food as medicine solutions in a little bit. Um, Let's just keep exploring and kind of digging into these problems and cruising over the surface a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's hit obesity in children and teens. Yes. So, um, you know, one of these overarching drivers that we'll see as a causation factor and how I approach food as medicine is this double-edged sword, right? So it's both about the abundance of eating whole real foods and then having some structure in how you address your glycemic index, but it's also going to be an avoidance of processed products. And when we look at the onset of obesity in children, we have to acknowledge that there have been massive changes in our food system in the last two decades alone. Um, We know that more than ever, kids are consuming less real food and more products of the industry. And in the past three decades, child obesity rates have tripled in the U.S., And our country has some of the highest obesity rates in the world. One out of six children is obese. One out of three children is overweight. And the rate of child obesity, like I said, has gone triple since the 1970s. In 2023, one in five children were obese. And we're seeing this raising yearly. Um, There was no meaningful analysis that was done last year by the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatricians. Uh, They put out a uh, position statement on child obesity, and we actually put out a episode that week. (laughs) It's uh, episode 328, Child Obesity, Fueling Pharma Profits Versus Sustainable Solutions. So go check that one out. That was a spicy one. I think we were pretty pissed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because in that release from the AAP, um, they did not identify a single driver of obesity. They did not talk about obesogenic ingredients, pesticides, or plastics, or the role of endocrine disrupting compounds in the daily... uh, Um, impact of children, uh, how sedentary lifestyle or screen time, they literally pushed towards more of a victim mentality and pharmacological solutions. So there was a quote from a doctor on the board there that said, this is no different than if you have asthma and now we have an inhaler for you. And this was in reference to Wegovi, which is a semaglutide weekly injectable drug, same type of mechanism as the Ozempic uh, weight loss injections. And that had been approved for children ages 12 and older last year in 2023. So in that episode, we go deep dive about, of course, the side effects of this medication. We've done other uh, episodes specific on Ozempic and compared things like berberine, but 
the wild thing is that these drugs have now just been approved as of November <laughs> uh, for children ages six and up. And actually, just a day after we received the contract offer for the mm. book, I put out a pretty spicy <laughs> post. I still don't know. Time and space will never know if that was a reason why we were too controversial. Who knows? But I put out a spicy post challenging that. Um, you know, why would we be giving an injectable drug to a child that could have harmful effects on digestive and pancreatic stress could drive risk of pancreatic cancer, thyroid cancer. Uh, we're seeing hundreds of reports of mental illness with depression, anxiety, and even suicide attempt with users. And these drugs are 900 to $1,400 a month. Um, which is absolutely not affordable for many. Um, and the reality is, is that our children just deserve better. It's really widely concerning that there is an academy of American pediatrics and others in the medical field that are using these pharmacological interventions instead of addressing the root cause of our broken food system and really starting to redefine what belongs in the human body in the first place. And the only thing that belongs is whole real foods, not processed products. Right. And age six, I mean, that's younger than Steli yeah. at this point, like there is still, you know, so much that you can do, even if that child has been raised on a processed diet up until that point, the moment you see the light, you can start to make those changes versus putting them on this drug that they're probably going to be on for life with unknown long-term side effects. And who knows what else you're setting them up for. Right. And what's sad about it is that these drugs can drive more hyperglycemia or blood sugar dysregulation if you stop using. So if the parent is scared enough to start it, maybe they can only afford a couple months, mm -hmm. they might actually be more hindering or harming their child's metabolic health. And I will tell you that food as medicine approaches in children, you can see results so quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, yeah. this is not necessarily the time that we're going into like case study breakdown, but I will share in the world of obesity and in the world of non-alcoholic fatty liver, um, I've had kiddos come to me at age eight with hypertriglyceridemia, mm -hmm. elevated ALT, and I'm not kidding you, in eight weeks, yep. we can see a 20 plus point reduction in liver enzymes from just cutting out processed refined carbs and making sure they're meeting their protein goals and following the naturally nourished kids approach to eating. Um, in just that eight weeks, we can lose 10% of body weight. I mean, remarkable things can happen and um, it's not a world of deprivation and restriction. It's again about empowering and wiring the child for metabolic success for decades to come versus the other side of the spectrum of handicapping them, enabling them, saying that food doesn't matter, keep eating as you do, and we'll just add in this medication. Right, right. And it means a change for the entire household that would be positive. It also means a change for the other things we just talked about in terms of ADHD behaviors, inattention, et cetera, that I think every parent would want that if they right. could get it. Easily. Right. So even the teenager in the household, if wasn't dealing with the fatty liver or high triglycerides, might notice that her skin's clearing. Right. And all of a right. sudden she has improved her confidence and her depression went away right. because she just feels better in yeah. her body. Yeah. Uh, that's what's so lovely is we always talk about the like synergy of, in air quotes, side effects or the pleasant side effects that come with food as medicine. Even things you're not looking to address can be resolved. Yeah. Um, and then beyond the injectables, which that seems to me like, wow, that's really far down the line. Um, but, you know, for weight loss, many Americans are actually putting their children on these oral medications. And that was what was also discussed in um, that episode that we put out after the AAP put out their terrible, terrible guidelines. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, you know, we broke down all of the different mechanisms of whether it's Orlistat, which creates fat soluble vitamin deficiency and intolerable for many gastrointestinal side effects like help like literally can drive kids to poop their pants and how mortifying mm -hmm. is that uh fentermine and the impact of stimulants and how that in itself what we just covered with the adhd drugs and then even weight loss surgery how high of a risk it is you know we've seen actually that 9.3 percent of children that have had weight loss surgery experience complications that are severe enough to require a second surgery and 7% of them had life-threatening complications. Um, so just so many ways where we need to intervene before this even becomes that level of a problem and really put to bed these considerations at all and just redefine our relationship with food as a country. And it starts within your own household. 
Okay, I won't go deeper there because I know we're trying to gloss the surface today because there's yes. so much. Um, but listen to that episode if that gets you, you know, if that kind of, you know, riles you up as much as it does us. Um, let's talk anxiety and mood disorders. Um, so in your book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, you really define how foods can be used to drive or resolve many mood disorders. Um, but what's going on with our children and what are the primary contributing factors? Okay. So we can see about now 12% of kids with anxiety in 2012, that was up 20% from 2007. And in 2021, we see about 15% of children with a form of mental illness. Uh, and this is children ages five through 17. Um, about 8% of children are taking some form of prescription medication for their mental health and about 11.5% of children receiving counseling or therapy for mental health from a professional. Um, and so currently we're seeing about 5 million children in the U.S. with some type of serious mental illness, um, one that is defined as significantly interfering with daily life. Um, and in any given year, 20% of American children will be diagnosed with mental illness is what we saw in 2022. Um, so we're seeing a continued increase. Um, we're seeing uh, larger episodes of severe major depression and anxiety. And we're seeing that, of course, when we extend into adults, we're finding in the Census Bureau Household Pulse Survey that half or 50% of adults age 18 to 24, so just on that you know, extension past adolescent teen, um, that 18 to 24-year-olds 50% of them report anxiety and depression uh, as of last year's assessment. Um, and that's going to be compared to then about a third of adults as we continue in age. So definitely how we're wiring or responding to them in that child and teen mm -hmm. is going to have a huge impact on our risk factor in those early professional college times. And sure. I know that as a parent of just a seven and a half year old, I'm already freaking out about that 18 plus stage oh, yeah. and how I can make sure that my daughter is confident, has a good head on her shoulder, is, you know, grounded in her spirituality, but also metabolically um, has the capacity to have healthy brain function and good cognition and good neurotransmitter balance so that um, she isn't having volatility or mood dysregulation. Um, so we're seeing in kiddos approved already for use in children and teenagers, uh, the SSRI family of medications. Uh, so these are most commonly used. This is something like Zoloft, Prozac, uh, Paxil, Celexa, Lexapro. Uh, doctors could also prescribe an anti-anxiety medication in addition to this. Um, and these could be more sedative-based like clonazepam. And these are approved for both children and teens where anxiety would prevent with daily activities. Um, these drugs are going to more calm the central nervous system and provide that short-term release, um, whereas the SSRIs are going to influence that reuptake of our serotonin on a receptor level. And what's concerning and just facts, uh, if you have any of these medications, is that there is a black box warning in regard to the risk of suicidal ideation in children and adolescents using SSRIs. So if any uh, listener has one of those medications, literally, if you flip it, it might be hidden by the label, the way that it's taped, but black box warning means death warning, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that unfortunately, there's not always informed consent when a parent is told, you know, that this is the, 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 treatment pathway for their child. I don't know that many of them really know the potential future risk factor that that could have on their child's mental health. Totally. And as a parent, you want your child out of pain as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, maybe you're not given the side effects and nobody sits down and counsels you on those, which is so wild. Right. And I, I believe very strongly in, in the concept of counseling, you know, cognitive behavioral sure. therapy and work in that space is absolutely necessary. But if you don't have a foundation of food as medicine and you are not eating in an optimal place to support, like I said, dopamine levels, um, or to support, we've seen in studies, I think we kind of, uh, scapegoated this section, but in studies, we've seen that ADHD and depressed and anxious children, as well as teens, as well as adults even, 
tend to crave more snacky and processed foods. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because of that that hit of dopamine that our food scientists are aware that they're able to create with processed foods. And so these individuals that are more charged, that are more in this uh, neurodivergent or neuro-unique pathway, they tend to be those that are really going to be more influenced by these processed foods, but also more drawn Mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. So all the reason to further recalibrate that totally creates a vicious cycle if Mm -hmm. you don't. No doubt. Um, For sure. Um, So yeah, those are the kids who are like, I'll only eat pizza and chicken nuggets. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay. We're going to find a way to make it the superfood chicken nuggets and yeah. find a replacement for that pizza. Well, and I love that. And, yeah. and before we go on, just noting as a fun little nugget from uh, Naturally Nourished Kids, uh, a fun element that we've been working on within this project is this being a taste adventurer component. And so we do that with our uh, not our uh, Food is Medicine for the Whole Family program. But this book will have um, a taste adventurer passport, if you will. Um, so regardless of the age of your child or teen, uh, there will be different kind of higher um, adventurous recipes, if you will, outside the box eating. And um, that really helps with that feedback. A, a lot of us are wired to like sticker charts or check off boxes or accomplish things. And so we're really working not just in the quantity of your macros of balancing out carbs, protein, and fat with these recipes. We're also extending your palate with natural flavors, but also to be more of a taste adventure, to appreciate bitter acid, a little bit of spicy. And that's going to help to wire your child's taste buds for success, especially when they understand how they can get excited flavors or dynamic flavor profiles on their palate without neurotoxins and Mm -hmm. excitatory chemicals like MSG. Totally. Um, and yeah, Noah loves a good sticker chart right now. So he's of the ripe age to test <laughs> this out on Stella, him. Yes. And I'm pretty sure Stella will all the way through like age 19. I mean, and, and I like I still will take a, a good sticker. Checkbox. Noah tells me like, oh, mom, you get a sticker for doing that. I'm like, can I just make myself a chart? <laughs> I mean, I'm a highlighter and a crosser yes, offer, yes, but I love a good list yep. and I love yep. a challenge and I like accountability yep. when I'm accomplishing yep. something. Totally. So I'm excited about that part. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So anyway, sidebar, um, but just to say that there is, you know, an acknowledged blood sugar connection um, with, you know, people with diabetes, for example, are two to three times more likely to have depression than people without diabetes. Um, But that's not acknowledged in treatment of anxiety and depression. In fact, a lot is unfortunately focused on drug therapy. Yes, there's uh, Dr. Kendall who directs the Child and Adolescent Anxiety Disorders Clinic uh, at Temple University, and um, he said, there are effective treatments for anxiety disorders, and those treatments are pretty darn good, and then goes on to quote a study with the use of Zoloft. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like, the thing that's really interesting is when we talk about these SSRI drugs with that black box warning that it is an increased risk for suicidal ideation, and we know all too many that have tried not just one. Not many people will just go through one. They're going to try multiple forms of SSRIs. They're going to be gaslit lit or gas lamped and told that it's in their head, that the drug just doesn't work for them, that, you know, no side effects, la la la, and keep kind of spinning that wheel and trying new things. Uh, when again, that's, that's not a treatment, I would argue. That's a Band-Aid and that's causing more long-term concerns. Yes, totally. Um, so what would we do <laughs> Instead, do we want to start to talk about blood sugar balance a little bit? Sure. So, you know, I think that when we look at, of course, the idea of first off, we have to eat whole real foods as a priority, um, because I think that that's important of quality first. And of course, again, like I said, using natural ingredients to make variety of flavor, um, educating our population on what a whole food is in the first place, I think is really important. But if we're looking at blood sugar, we have to for sure look at blood sugar balance and the constructs of no naked carbs, making sure we're meeting our protein needs, and that we have an understanding of what an appropriate portion is of a carbohydrate to support carb control. Our approach with Naturally Nourished Kids is a low glycemic diet, and so it is not technically a ketogenic diet, although we do allow icons and guidance on how to make recipes keto-friendly if necessary, and we educate you in the book of when and in what conditions you would consider adjusting into that ketogenic 
profile. But I will say for 90 plus percent of readers, they're going to be following it in just this low glycemic blood sugar balance, getting your kiddo off of that roller coaster, if you will, of spikes and crashes and allowing them to feel more even keeled and more on a speed bump dynamic versus these mountain peaks and valleys. Yes, totally. Um, let's hit on just the increased rates of diabetes in children and teens before we before we give anything else away in terms of solutions. Okay, so diabetes trends with obesity for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really wild is that you know we used to call it adult onset diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, but in um, you know the last decade we've now had to refer to type one and type two diabetes that can now begin in childhood and adulthood both of them. Um, And the increase of children with obesity has been the biggest causation factor of why type 2 diabetes has occurred. The earliest, youngest risk of type 2 diabetes is a three-year-old in Texas when I was looking at uh, results and she was obese, also had fatty liver, um, so had severe insulin resistance. And it came to light that she was being fed an excessive amount of fructose Mm -hmm. in the form of sodas and processed sugary beverages. Um, we are seeing an increase in youth, um, ages 10 to 19. That's generally where we would see diabetes manifesting, um, an increase of about 5% over this last year, which is pretty remarkable. And currently pharmacological management includes metformin, which is an oral hypoglycemic drug. Uh, we've talked about, uh, it in comparison to berberine, for instance, as a natural tool, but we've also talked about how you might not even need either if you can control and manage your carb consumption. And again, use whole food sources, which are going to have antioxidants and fiber. Uh, so more nutritional density, less oxidative stress, and then the fiber in a whole food carb is going to start to blunt that glycemic index. And then as we layer in protein and quality fats, that further sits like a lid on a jar to keep optimal blood sugar balance. And it's wild because we're seeing acknowledgement of sugary beverages mm-hmm. by uh, medical professionals, but the buck kind of stops there. And right. I think that's pretty ignorant. Right, because you could have the equal amount of carbs in some kind of packaged processed food that has no fiber or mm-hmm. <laughs> protein to speak of that does a similar thing. I mean, we always talk about liquid carbs as blood, you know, blood sugar, lighter fluid, if right. you will, or lighter fluid for your blood sugar. But a lot of these snacky foods can do the same darn thing if you don't have that anchor of protein and fat with them. Yes. And I think that it's important to note that this is not just uh, a problem in lower income socioeconomic status areas, you know, a lot of individuals that are maybe even purchasing organic, um, or, you know, buying these cleaner options, if they aren't educated on blood sugar balance and carb control and their child is constantly grazing, they're still going to be to some level at risk. Just go to any kid's birthday party at (laughs) school or soccer Um, game or school. I mean, I mean, it is insane that, you know, they're having to, that many teachers are giving candy as a reward mm-hmm. for finishing your, you know, math problems mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, children are inundated with offenders yeah. to blood sugar control oh, yeah. daily. They were giving some kind of crazy gummies in one of Noah's classes for potty training. And I'm like, thank God he's already, <laughs> he's already that. potty trained. And it was like a blue green thing shaped like a turtle. I'm like, that does not look like food. I don't know what that is. Um, Anyway, I digress. Um, So, you know, point is to say that our children are at risk for a lot of preventable lifestyle illnesses. And there are, of course, several drivers for this. I think less physical activity um, certainly plays a role. And I think the pandemic really brought that to light with, you know, putting kids in front of devices and screens and whatnot. Um, but also, you know, the majority of the insult really comes from diet. And again, that's the most modifiable risk factor that there is. Yes. Um, let's just dig into risk factors or drivers of metabolic dysfunction within our food system. So we've covered the highly refined processed carbohydrates that Mm -hmm. are the big dopamine hitters, but let's, let's dig in a little more on that. Yeah. And I mean, I think it starts right off the bat with, how our children are primed, you know, of whether they're 
provided formula versus exclusively breastfed. And we're starting to see a huge rev of a return to breastfeeding over the last decade, I would say. And it continues to rise, especially with awareness of all of the nourishment that can come from breast milk, of course, affordability that can come from breast milk, um, and a lot more support for mamas with lactation, mm-hmm. um, which I think is extremely important. But if a baby is primed with formula, you know, off the bat, they're provided then inflammatory seed oils, refined processed carbohydrates, corn syrup in various forms or corn ingredients, and that could include high fructose corn syrup, corn syrup solids, uh, as well as dextrose. And, um, you know, then following that, even if they were breastfed maybe, uh, but mom's buying the summer of June organic oatmeal cereal or the organic version of teethers or pouches, they're already then in a processed food introduction, um, really limited in protein and quality fats and really setting them up for a dynamic blood sugar stressor. Um, and so too high of carbs, I think is one of the first things. And I think that I always am using the phrase that like carbs will find your child, Mm -hmm. (laughs) focus on them meeting their protein and fat goals with whole foods. And you know, then the carbs are like the condiment kind of thing. Um, and the idea of no naked carbs, anytime they have a fruit or a starchy vegetable, it's paired with a protein or healthy fat. So if Stella is going to do carrots as an after school snack and, um, when, before we give her an after school snack, we always check her lunch container. Mm -hmm. And if her lunch container has any protein in it, um, or really anything that looks still edible, we finish our lunch container, uh, or we have a conversation about why we didn't like, sometimes she'll say, Oh, well, that got too close to that. And then that made this got really mushy. soggy, you know. which I get that. Yep. Like if, yep. it, if it tastes gross and it's retrograded, that's fine. Um, and then I need to problem solve a different container for yep. that set ingredient. Um, but if it's an ingredient that otherwise she would eat, like if she has uh, deli roll-ups or um, a paleo chicken tender or whatnot, she's going to finish that protein first. And then really the only other option is depending on if I feel like she had enough protein, she's going to get a vegetable and maybe another protein. So it's like cucumber and... And uh, pieces of beef jerky, or it's going to be um, carrot sticks with almond butter if I feel like she had enough protein and we're having a pretty protein dominant dinner. Um, but, but something light and easy in, in both of those scenarios, you know, the carrot stick would be the carb and then the almond butter would be the fat, or that could be apple slice with almond butter in that same approach, or adding Greek yogurt to the berries or cottage cheese as that protein harness to uh, strawberries, for instance. This pairing, like I said earlier, is really essential in starting to educate your children as early as age two. And that sounds early, but I know that both of us started having those conversations. Oh, yeah. I'm starting um, with Mabel right when, now. Yeah. She's smart enough. I mean, She's really got at a one. string cheese in one hand and you know what a apple in the is, other one. You know what a, yeah. And, and it's just with starting to identify foods, right. but then taking it next level of what type of food yes. is that? Yep. Um, and then what types of foods like to be combined together? Um, and, you know, this focus of glycemic index is, I think, a really important harness, like we said, that has results across the board, but for sure in harnessing energy and irritability and behavior and concentration. And then for sure, the blood sugar balance happens down the line to support metabolic health, reduces the risk factor of increased body fat storage, uh, and can even, of course, directly reduce that insulin resistance where we would see the diabetic risk factor. Totally. And yeah, the carbs will find your child thing is so true. And if we struggle with it, that means everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, we're hyper aware. And I still, within my own house, I'm like, Byron, they can't have the crackers without something else. Then he's mm-hmm. like, well, it didn't fit in the snack container. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, she gets two snack containers and one can yeah. have the crackers and one can have a cut up string cheese in yep. it. Um, but I think that just speaks to the need for naturally nourished kids to be out in the world as a resource for parents. So you don't have to do all of this thought process on your own. And then you own. can just say, the book says the on book page says, 13. Yep. <laughs> From our, our table that is created beautifully in here, you can choose two options and this is how you pair them together, right? Yes. Totally. And I think, you know, secondary to this idea of glycemic index is, again, returning back to this concept of quality. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the concern beyond the fact that there's just processed refined carbohydrates and, and too high of blood sugar dysregulation in our kiddos. Uh, is the impact of toxins in our food system. And so, you know, there are definite concerns that have been acknowledged in the medical field on uh, toxic elements that are seen in many commercially available infant foods and uh, toddler foods and children's foods 
around the world. Um, you know, we're seeing things like arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury. Um, we know that children are at more vulnerable risk factor to toxic elements or toxic metals would be another word there, right? Um, and that's because they have higher absorption with poor detoxification capabilities. So they're more susceptible to the insult without the ability to clear it. And we even talked about this in our EMF episode, mm-hmm. for instance, when we talked about like cell phone radiation and how it's so much more harmful to right. children's bodies right. than to adults' bodies. Yeah, so their bodies are smaller and also still developing a lot of these processes. Yes. Um, And we look at some of these foods here. Is this, okay, plastic chemicals in Mm -hmm. popular products. I see Mm -hmm. Cheerios on there and I still am thinking back to when Noah's school was like, well, he could have Cheerios because they're gluten-free. And I was like, are they glyphosate-free? And apparently there's plastic in them too. Yeah, a large (laughs) amount of phthalates, uh, which are a known Mm -hmm. endocrine disruptor. Um, outside of the safe range per serving in Cheerios was found, which uh-huh. is quite concerning. A Jello pudding snacks also had high amount of phthalate count. Uh, we looked at um, various brands and saw that across the board. And then just, of course, in our plastic water bottles, you know, a liter of bottled water is now uh, guesstimated to have 240,000 detectable plastic fragments. Um, And most of these are nanoplastics, which are less than one micrometer in size, which can gather in our adipocytes or our body fat tissue. So again, when we were kiddos, that was before the, you know, water bottle craze, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Water bottle, plastic water bottle craze is kind of dissipating with the trend of Yetis and of course, Stanley's and all these things. (laughs) But you know, kiddos have their various brands, Swell, Water Bottle, et cetera. As long as it's stainless steel, it's really helpful. But the thing is, is that these are in a lot of the food products mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something to definitely be aware of. Yeah, super, super wild. Um, and then food coloring, I think, is a big one too. And that's like one of the two that Noah knows. That's a hard yeah. line in our family. We were at a birthday party and I kind of like take a back seat when we're at birthday parties and just see what he's going to do. And mm-hmm. I say, we don't eat that at home. That definitely has food coloring in it. And I'm going to give you the choice of if you want to try it. And he tried like a bright blue cupcake and had a blue tongue, took one bite of it. And was like, oh, that for sure had food coloring in it, mama. (laughs) You know, they can can tell you. Yep. Stella's always in the pictures of her class because they love snow cones. Mm. And so she's only allowed to get shaved ice and Luckily, sometimes if I get a text in advance, I can run up to school with organic pineapple juice yeah, or some yeah, yeah. kind of juice, but she never, whenever it has their tongues on the pictures, her tongue is beautiful, fleshy pink. As it should be. As it should be. <laughs> and like, it's so funny because like the lineup of the mm-hmm. colors and things. But I mean, food colorings, I think go back also more than a decade in research, especially connecting the world of neurological yep. conditions and ADHD. There has been direct feeding studies looking at Red 40, mm-hmm. um, as well as Blue Lake, um, Um, and various other food colorings. These are petroleum-derived or actually elemental metal-derived compounds that do not belong in our children's bodies. And um, that pretty much is a clear role into a processed product if it's going to allow the food colorings. Totally. Um, All right. So when we're looking for organic or clean options, I think, you know, financially, if able to parents will default to these organic snacks or the Mm -hmm. natural alternatives, but then even these paleo puffs or what have you are maybe not ideal. I see a lot of like sunflower oil as kind of Mm -hmm. a big driver or there's, you know, still, um, maybe not paleo, but there's still corn ingredients in some of these other, um, products, not ideal either. And I think that's where a lot of the food education, stops, um, you know, calling out the toxins, giving and eat this, not that, um, but then not a lot of guidance on carb control or abundance of nutrients or how to regulate appetite and support, you know, balance brain chemistry and reduce cravings. Right. So, you know, just avoiding the toxins isn't ensuring that you're going to be eating in a naturally nourished kids approach. Um, And that's where macros really matter. And so I think, you know, we've hit to this concept of today's episode, this idea of no naked carbs. 
the book really unpacks that, like you said, with beautiful imagery, tables, selection. I also provide guidance on how many grams of protein your child needs based on their weight, based on their activity factors and where they are with growth. And this really empowers you to understand the actual impact of the amount of carbs you're eating on the blood sugar of your body or your child's body and understanding what a proper serving is and how to blunt that glycemic index is where we really start to see the results kicking in. Because again, I've seen kiddos snacking nonstop on bags of those types of snacks um, and they could still very well be dealing with behavioral issues or, um, you know, of course, overweight or having um, way too high of a glycemic index for optimal health. So if we look at our big picture approach, we're looking at reducing carbs and balancing blood sugar. We're looking at eliminating processed refined foods, which in turn will reduce toxicity. And also in our abundance world, we're getting some support for detoxification because we're expanding the child's palate into bitters, into leafy greens, into getting cruciferous vegetables. We're working on rewiring addiction and disordered eating through mindfulness, uh, through understanding hunger and satiety. And we talk about timing of eating and we talk about meals versus snacks very clearly in the book and how to allow your child to guide um, or how you can guide, excuse me, your child in the decision process, but how they can still have that autonomy or that freedom to have a choice so that they're more empowered uh, by it, which is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, We have a huge amount of microbiome balancing recipes where we're incorporating probiotic rich food or a higher amount of prebiotics and you know just by the combination of ingredients that we provide in these low glycemic recipes we're supporting abundance of micronutrients that can instead of insult can actually further support resolution of these four chronic conditions yes and all of that happens with real whole food yes right yes, yes. no doubt yeah. Um, And so Naturally Nourished Kids, you know, includes a lot of guidance within the book with five chapters. Is it only five? Um, I think so. It might be seven. It's it's five, but with sub-chapters or it might be seven. We'll let you know in part two. You know, there's a good (laughs) chunk devoted to education. About a third of the book, yes. Um, And I want to cover too, you know, what's in our book in part two of this. Yes. Um, But for now, let's just talk about some of the research that backs this approach and starting with the low carb and carb awareness. Yes. And so we'll go through our table of contents next week when we share part two of Naturally Nourished Kids of what is Naturally Nourished Kids um, today kind of just laying the groundwork of why. Uh, So there was a research study called Effective Low Carbohydrate Unlimited Calorie Diet on the Treatment of Child Obesity. And they looked at uh, children in two months of use of a high protein, um, low carbohydrate diet compared to a low calorie diet. And mind you, the high protein, low carbohydrate diet did not have a caloric restriction. So that means that these children were self-regulating their appetite and their caloric intake just by meeting their protein needs and keeping their carbs low enough. I really want to emphasize that to listeners because that means that that's a lot less white knuckling. And the children that did the high protein, low carb diet, which would be a naturally nourished approach to eating, they decreased their BMI by 2.42 points. And this is compared to the low cal diet who gained an average Uh. of 2.36 kilograms or one point on the BMI value. Even though they were low calorie because it was probably all like 100 calorie snack pack yeah foods that's wild yeah that almost doesn't even make sense so you know the conclusion was that the high protein low carbohydrate unlimited calorie diet was superior to a restricted calorie protocol for weight loss in obese school-aged children and moreover the compliance Mm -hmm. or the ability to stick with it or some would say the sustainability of this approach was better and that doesn't surprise me me neither (laughs) and it wouldn't surprise anyone who's done our keto program or eats in our naturally nourished way because because that's the food freedom we talk about is like, oh, when you're actually nourishing your body, meeting its amino acid needs and keeping that glycemic index regulated, you're not on these jags of hunger or of cravings. Right. Um, so pretty wild. Um, and then what about um, actually looking at a ketogenic diet, which we don't necessarily say is the first go-to 
for kiddos. Right. You know, so like I said, in my uh, book, I have an entire chapter on balancing blood sugar. And within that book, I talk about carb portions, carb control, the, of course, no naked carbs. And then I do uh, discuss why a ketogenic diet might be considered and for who. Uh, So the research behind a ketogenic diet is quite uh, fantastic as well. This was another, um, this is a comparison to a keto diet compared to a hypocaloric diet. So another similar thing of like calorie control versus keto. And they saw that um, both groups in this study actually reduced their weight, their fat mass, and their waist circumference, as well as their fasting insulin and insulin resistance. Um, But the differences were greater across the board in the ketogenic group. And um, the ketogenic group actually had a favorable improvement in adiponectin, which is the more thermogenic gray fat on the body. Um, So the conclusions were that the keto diet revealed more pronounced improvements in weight loss and metabolic parameters than the hypocaloric diet and maybe more feasible again because of that um, more compliance factor and would be a safe alternative for children's weight loss. Yes. And again, that's not the first place we're going with kiddos typically. The book is not geared necessarily toward ketosis. You know, many children don't need that extreme or they actually, based on their activity factors, are producing ketones if they're not constantly snacking in between meals and they're dipping into that and their, you know, metabolic flexibility is like goals for most adults, right? Um, But there may be, you know, that 10% where you're at the stage of considering a pharmacological intervention with your child. And that's where you would go and level up, you know, into keto for both the anti-inflammatory and metabolic support. Um, And we'll have icons and swap outs within the book that really distinguish how you would switch things up if you did need to go tighter carb. Yes. And what's also lovely is for moms and dads that want to support their children in the naturally nourished kids, they can use those icons if they're looking to jump into ketosis because maybe they don't have as much metabolic flexibility and they want to see a little bit more results on weight or body composition change. And that could be a totally appropriate use. And that's why we'll have those icons to empower you if you want to take things next level. But like Becky said, I think that a lot can be done with just cleaning up the diet, um, eating naturally nourished and seeing blood sugar control with a low glycemic approach to eating. So even in the world of diabetes, we can see children following a flexible, low glycemic diet had a significant improvement in A1C, that three-month hemoglobin A1C level, um, and a reduction in hyperglycemic episodes. And this was a research study on uh, diet and glycemic index in children with diabetes. And then also there's evidence, as I mentioned, you know, of people that have some of these conditions gravitating towards junk food, higher in sugar food, um, those dopamine stimulants to get this wiry impact. Um, And we've seen it in study after study that um, when compared in a placebo or randomized clinical trial, we see better outcomes when we remove those processed products. Um, Get this though, (laughs) the American Academy of Pediatrics, who we've already said our piece about in that other episode that I referenced. But this they, was newer yeah, update this is from new. them. Um, they caution against the use of low-carbohydrate diets in children and adolescents with or at risk of developing diabetes within a new clinical report that cites concerns over how overly restrictive dietary patterns may affect their health. And that was from September of 23. What? Yeah, and that's the same organization again that says that we should give them the $900 to $1,400 a month injectable weight loss drugs, but not to lower their carbohydrates, even though we've seen again in research study less blood sugar volatility (laughs) or dynamics of blood sugar imbalance in already diabetic individuals when following a low glycemic approach to eating. Um, So just with that to say. Um, I know that y'all know that uh, we are very committed to really understanding the mechanisms of action and the anatomy and physiology and biochemical changes that occur in the body when we digest and break down food into nutrients and how food impacts our blood sugar balance. And um, I will say you always have to follow the funding when Mm -hmm. you're looking at feedback from organizations and that 
This is a little bit of a David and Goliath chapter I'm seeing already in my life, and I'm really excited to be David out there. And, um, you know, if we yell it from the hilltops, I'm just really excited because I'm smiling as I'm saying this. I know the thousands plus of individuals that Naturally Nourished Kids will have an impact on and how freeing this type of eating can be for so many and how achievable and approachable it can be when you really understand the whys behind it. And I'm really passionate about with putting together the content in Naturally Nourished Kids and Becky and I partnering on these amazing, delicious recipes that we're doing just that. We're providing you a guidebook as a reference, if you will, that will take you through years to come of making you feel empowered in your own kitchen, that you're doing the best that you can to support your children and teens and young adults for optimal eating so that they not only can prevent chronic illness, but that they can be in a mode of optimal health and thrive mode. Yes. I think it's going to be a very valuable resource and stay tuned for part two, where we'll go a little bit deeper into the solution. We'll talk through what all of the chapters entail, give you a little bit of a sneak peek. Um, We'll talk some of the drool worthy recipe stuff, I think for sure, because you can't talk about a cookbook without talking about food. No, of course not. Um, So that will be coming next week. Yes. And also stay tuned as we will continue to share on our YouTube and social media, a little bit of speckling of some naturally nourished kids recipes out there. Becky already noted the ancestral chicken nuggets. Uh, We are going to be doing a lovely bone broth, tomato, basil soup coming up and uh, a lot more for you to kind of get a taste of our food as medicine before this book comes out, hopefully at the end of this year. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.